right. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. Glad you're here with us, and uh, you're in for a real treat today. One of my dearest friends, one of the best communicators in the nation is here with us, Pastor David Hughes from South Florida in the house. And uh, I'm so excited. Pastor David and his wife, Lisa, have been at Church by the Glades for over 20 years. They have locations across South Florida. They reach um, an incredible, incredible amount of people uh, across all spectrums. They're one of the most diverse churches in the nation. They're one of the most creative churches in the nation. They are uh, taking real ground for God and for good. And I'm always so honored when Pastor David is here. So Central, let's give a big, huge, warm welcome for my friend, Pastor David Hughes, all the way from Florida from the East Coast time zone. Thank you so much. But listen, the honor is all mine because I am back at Central. This is, I think, uh, my fourth time, my fourth time with you. So at this point, I want to declare myself no longer just a guest speaker. Right, four times. At this point, I, I'm a junior varsity member of Pastor Judge Preaching Team. I am now declaring myself part of the Central family, if that's okay. Because who does not want to be part of Central? I love, I love Church by the Glades. Uh, but this church is such a remarkable church. And sometimes you need someone from the outside just to speak into that, to remind you of what you know already. I mean, scope and scale, it's tremendous. I mean, you are one loving, unified church. But you're in multiple cities, in multiple states, multiple locations, multiple languages, multiple countries, multiple hemispheres. I mean, who does that? What's up, Newcastle, by the way? Give it up for yourselves. You're this remarkable church, the size and scope, almost without precedent in North America. So I know you're big. You know you're big, but also central. You're not just big. You're beautiful. I, I mean, the way you dispense grace, the way you love broken people, the way anyone is welcome and embraced. Uh, gosh, the heart of this church, this remarkable church where it's okay not to be Okay, I, I love you. you are a beautiful church. You are more than just a church. You are a movement of God in this generation. And so thank you for allowing me the privilege to hang with you. And there's reasons why. Army of volunteers, crazy talented staff, dynamic worship, but yes, your pastors. If you allow me just a moment. Listen, I, I'm biased, biased. Ethan, your parents are my friends. We love you guys so much. You have a great, great family. But Judd and Lori, they're so talented. Now, you don't know them perhaps like I do. They're, they're as kind and compassionate and gracious offstage as they are as on, but they're so, they do so many things well. I mean, most people do like one or two things well. They, they're visionary leaders. Uh, they're inspiring. They administrate very well. Oh, my gosh. They have great people skills. Uh, they both write books, and they both can speak. They both have amazing gifts of oratory. And J Judd lays out this incredible content with that big Judd Wilhite smile and He's so likable, right? Just, just, and then the way Judd has an ability to communicate to a diverse crowd. Like you mentioned, my church is highly diverse, but look around at Central. One thing I love about this, my church, Central, is that you guys are so wonderfully diverse. You see in the room right now, you see what? You see different cultures, see different races. You're diverse racially, you're diverse culturally, uh, you're diverse economically. I don't know there'd be a fact. I just never told me. I'd just judge you based on your cars in the parking lot that you are diverse. 
economic agreements. Some of y'all, some of y'all got some nice cars. Some of y'all got some Bentleys and Teslas. Some of y'all, oh, bless your heart. Your car, you got that hood car. We have to go out after church, pray over your car that it starts and get you home safely. So diverse culturally, diverse racially, uh, diverse generationally, that's huge. A lot of churches in America, like everybody in church is kind of the same age. Like everybody's like middle-aged or they're all senior adults or all millennials. But really just stop and look around at your location. Look at your location. Uh, you will see all different kinds of ages. And that's remarkable because Judd communicates and connects with people of all ages. And that's not easy because you recognize every generation connects and communicates differently. You're aware of that? Okay, if you're watching online, like three people are aware of that. So I'll see if I can convince the rest of them. Uh, in the room right now are probably your location, five generations. On the screen, I'll put the five generations. Uh, people break down the generations differently. This is Jason Dorsey, a demographer, who I, I pressed into for this information. But uh, all these five generations, so you're one of these. So make a little noise where I describe you. If you are Gen Z, make some noise. Where's Gen Z in the house? You got Gen Z in the house. Where are the magnificent millennials in the house? Awesome. Where's Gen X? Come on, Gen X, make some noise, Gen X. Where are the fantastic baby boomers in the house? And this last generation, you go by different names. Sometimes they're called, uh, the most mature people in the house, they're called the baby busters. But I like uh, news anchor back in the day, Tom, Tom Brokaw, Tom Brokaw called you the greatest generation. Are there any members of the greatest generation in the house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, some of the greatest generation in the house. And so all these generations communicate and connect differently. And how you reach out and connect is, are you with me? All of us, just we connect differently. Need convincing. All right, how about this? Baby boomers, baby boomers. You have a baby boomer dad who wants to encourage his millennial daughter. So what does he do? He takes pen and paper in hand and writes her a very kind note in cursive. She's a millennial, she can't read cursive. But she's a nice kid, she responds to him, she gets out her iPhone and she texts him a message. All emojis. He doesn't do emojis, right? We connect differently throughout the generations. Even within a language group, your, your whole family speaks Spanish, but the generations communicate and connect differently. Uh, how about this, technology, technology. Famously, Gen Z, where's Gen Z? Gen Z, millennials? You guys are great with technology, Gen X as well. Boomers, greatest generation, maybe great with technology, right? These guys are great with tech, boomers not so much, but guess what, young guns? Don't make fun of the boomers, they are geniuses. They can do something called long division. <laughs> boomers, greatest generation, they are so smart, they can read maps on paper that don't talk to you, right? They're so smart. My two oldest kids, they're both, they're both, you know, they're both Gen Z and they're really smart kids, but oh my gosh, they lean into their electronics so much, I think they can find church and Chipotle and maybe the house without their GPS, right, all the time. Um, uh, finances, how we do finances, very, very different with the generations. Uh, young Guns, Gen, Gen Z, you guys will use what? Venmo and PayPal and Apple Pay. Boomers, raise, raise your hand, boomers, raise your hand. Where are the boomers, where are the boomers? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Oh, look at the watches, look at the watches. That's so cute. Y'all got watches, right? Young guys don't have watches, you got watches. Baby boomers, you have an emergency check inside your wallet with your cash. 
Millennials are going, what's a check? <laughs> Gen Z's going, what? what's cash? Why, what's cash? Gen Z, you guys grew up with Alexa and Siri and uh, Disney Plus. Uh, baby boomers, uh, who, who's old enough to remember when the TV remote first came out? Who remembers actually being the TV remote? Remember being the TV remote? Oh, uh, son, would you please get off the couch and take our black and white box TV and turn it to one of the three channels, right? We're so wonderfully different. But your pastor communicates to this great group, this different group, and one thing I love about your church, there are some churches in America, and I don't think it's on purpose, but everyone's kind of the same age or the same race, like it's primarily an African-American church or a white church. It's not on purpose, it happens, but if you look around and see the diversity, I love this. You know why? Because this is what heaven's gonna look like. All the cultures, all the races, all the generations. And so it's an honor to be here with you. So, uh, so the series, I'm, I'm the bonus session of a series called Rise Up, Rise Up. It's a series we're tackling. It's a theme throughout the Bible, this idea that God wants you to rise up. It's based on the Word of God. I want to take you some places quickly in the Scripture. You turn to Luke chapter 6. Go to Luke chapter 6. We'll get there in a moment, Luke chapter 6, if you have your Bible with you. If not, we'll put the verses on the big screens, of course. But it's based on this idea to rise up, to rise up. When I say three, shout the words rise up. Ready? One, two, three. Rise up. Come on. You can do louder than that one. One, two, three, rise up. And this huge idea is throughout the scripture. And uh, Lori wrote an amazing book with that same title, Rise Up. It's available in the lobby at your campus. Uh, by the way, all the proceeds they're giving uh, to the ministries of the church, which is remarkable. Who does that? And by the way, I, I get no cut of this. And if you're here, go to okay, Pastor Guy, I don't know, from Miami is recommending a book. I'll tell you this I'm not a big reader. Uh, who's a recreational reader? Who likes to read? That's your fun. My wife loves to read. Who on the other hand, like, I don't read because God invented Netflix, right? I don't read. Okay, I, I have dyslexia, so I, I struggle to read. If I'm in a setting with other, like, pastors of large churches, and these guys are readers. They're so smart. And someone will say, what book are you reading? I'm like, 2 Corinthians? Does that count right? So, so um, but this book is remarkable. I'm almost finished, which I finished very few books. I'm so close. I'm almost finished with this great book. It is practical. It is powerful. It's encouraging. And guess what? If you're not a reader, it has pictures. It has pictures. True story. So I really recommend it. Rise Up. And it's based on the life of a guy named Ezra. And Ezra bought, brought uh, spiritual renewal to God's people in Jerusalem. And they were like really broken and dysfunctional and very discouraged. And so it's, it's based on the life of Ezra. In fact, during this series, we've talked about Ezra and Judd did a great story uh, on the guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, now they're not famous guys in the Bible, not like Moses or Abraham or surely Jesus. Ezra and Nehemiah, like nobody's kid here is named Nehemiah. But they're fascinating because they both built when everything was broken. And that's not easy. When your environment is dysfunction and brokenness, how do you build something beautiful? You rise up. So here's this idea. Let me show you a couple of verses. You stay in Luke chapter 6, but in, in Ezra 10, 4, it's on the screen right now. When I say three, I want you to read the highlighted word. Ready? One, two, three. Rise up. Take courage and do it. Isn't that good? Maybe that's God's word for you today, because God wants you to rise up and, and build something. In fact, let me show you that. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, also on the same screen, it says this really loud this time. Then they said, let us rise and build. One more time. Then they said, let us rise and build. One more time. Then they said, let us 
Isn't that good? I think that's God's word to somebody for 2020. In spite of the brokenness of 2019 or your past, or what's happened before, this is your season. This is your God-given moment. Rise and build. God wants to construct something lasting in your relationships, in your habits, in your disciplines, in your profession, in your finances, in your academics. Rise and build. Rise and build. Stop right now at every location. Turn to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Stare awkwardly in their eyes. Stare at them for a moment and look in the eyes. It is your season to rise and build. Ready to rise and build. That is so rich. That is so good. So in the last weeks we've been talking about that huge idea the final session. So one thing I want to deal with. In the Bible and in life, many times before you rise and build, before you rise up, before you rise up, you must give up. You give up, then you rise up. You give up, then you rise up. What do I mean? Not salvation. Salvation's a free gift. I mean, Jesus did all the heavy lifting when it came to salvation. Jesus gave up the, the rights and privileges of his divinity. Uh, he came to earth, he gave up his life at Calvary, he rose up on the third day, and to be saved, we just say yes to Jesus, most brilliant decision you'll ever make, right? But everything else after you're saved, uh, maturing, uh, taking advantage of God-given opportunity, uh, soaring, rising up, God allows us the privilege to proactively partner with him, and many times in life, stay with me, There'll be something in our life that we hold dear, that we cling to, and God will say, hey, that, that thing right there, uh, I need that. I need, trust me with that, surrender that to me, and when you give up, you will rise up. When you give up, you will rise up. And if you're watching online, there are like 20 people clapping, because it's a hard idea. I, I get it, it's hard, but you see this theme throughout the Bible. So uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, if you were here in past weeks, you saw he gave up a cushy job in the palace. He had to leave his home. He'd never been to Jerusalem before. It was a risky journey. Uh, Ezra, oh my gosh, had to give to God his interpersonal relationships because relationships are so powerful, but toxic ones can really mess you up, so he had to give that. Throughout the Bible, uh, the disciples had to give up their fish and their nets and their boats and their ancestral homes to follow Jesus, then change the world. Uh, Abraham had to give up his son he waited decades for. You must give up before you rise up. You must give up before you rise up. You see it time and time again in the Bible. So here's a big question today. Please don't answer out loud. What is that thing? What's that issue? What's that area of your life that God said, will you trust me in that? And you're like, and if I can get all up in your stuff for a moment, I know you don't know me, but if you allow me the privilege to get all up in your chili for just a moment, what are the areas I see people resist? There are four, quickly. Four things I see. Maybe this doesn't fit you at all, but here are four things I typically see in churches. For God-following people, as you're growing in your relationship with Christ, as God wants you to soar and achieve and find and fulfill the fullness of your God-given potential. These are the areas that we, we don't want to surrender or give up. Uh, I notice habits and addictions. That's one. Habits and addictions that hold us back. We don't want to surrender. Uh, forgiveness. God calls us to forgive someone who's wounded us, but we're bitter. We hang on to our bitterness. Uh, number three, sex life. To honor God with a very intimate part of our life, private part of our life. Oh my gosh, if you're watching online, you see the way they're staring at me right now. Fourth and finally, make, let's make it more awkward. Money. Money. Like, God, you can have anything. Just hands off my wallet, right? Just, just stay away from that one area, right? That's the one area we kind of freak out a little bit, get uptight. 
and these are, maybe these don't fit you, but my guess is fits probably 90% of the people in this room. It's one or more of these areas that you resist. But the big idea today you see throughout the scripture is you must give up before you rise up. So which of the four do I pick? Which is the most awkward? Has to be sex or money. Let's go with money. Let's go with money, because don't you love when you come to church and guest preacher guy talks about money? Isn't that awesome? I bet you came to church right now. I hope some guy I don't even know from Adam talks about money, right? Nobody. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about money. By the way, if you're a guest here, if you're not a Christian, this is not for you. Just, just eavesdrop. And you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, I came to one of those money churches? Or their pastor, what's his name? Judd, the smiling, smart guy, right? Writes books, probably talks about money every week. Not the case. Ask around you before you leave. He is so balanced in the way he teaches the Bible. But do you know there are 2,350 verses in your Bible about money? There's a very pervasive economic ethic in your Bible. It says all kinds of things about money. It says uh, you should work hard for your money. It says you should uh, try to save money. You should not be materialistic, driven by things that you possess. Uh, it says be careful about debt, invest money, all these things. Uh, but one thing it says is you should save your money. Save your money. And it says you should be generous with your money as well. And so the Bible teaches all these things. And if this makes you uncomfortable, guess what? You're cheap. No, just kidding. It makes you uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's just your hang up. And I'm not jamming you because my wife will tell you, I would describe myself as frugal, conservative. She'd say cheap. <laughs> so this is an area for me. It's kind of a hard area. Other areas, man, I, I can surrender and honor God so easily. But this one, this one's a tough one for me. So but every Christian has at least one hang up. Amen. Every Christian has one place they struggle, one place we right. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have at least one. Raise your hand. Come on, everybody. Raise your hand if you have at least one. See, if your hand's not up, your issue is lying in church. <laughs> All right. So this is throughout the Bible, 2,300 plus verses. Uh, why does God talk so much about our money? Here's the reason why. We traffic in the financial every day of our lives, right? <laughs> They're afraid to talk to me. We traffic in the financial every single day of our lives. Amen. I mean, think of it. Uh, so uh, you're going to go to church on Monday. Uh, church. You're going to go, maybe go to church on Monday. You're going to go to work on Monday. Go to work on Monday. Who has a job? Who's blessed with a job? All right, great. Why do you go to work on Monday? Because my boss, she has a great personality. That's why I go to work. <laughs> maybe, maybe she does. What's the most important reason why you go to work? Money, paycheck, compensation. That's biblical. So the Bible deals with everything in life that we traffic in and deal with. So the Bible talks a lot about money. And one of the things that's about money is as a redeemed person, a saved person, I should be habitually generous. I should bring the tithe and the I, If I want to rise up, because again, this is hard for me. I'm, I'm kind of a cheap person. I got to give up. So you're like, well, why, David? Why, why should I do that? Okay, let me show you a couple reasons why. Uh, it's taught throughout the Word of God. Uh, let me show you Old Testament, New Testament. First thing I would say is it's a clear biblical command. It's a clear biblical command taught throughout the Scripture. Let me show you Old Testament first. Let me show you uh, the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Will you please turn to the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet, Malachi, Malachi, Malachi. Anyways, Malachi uh, on the screen right now. Let me show you just the first part of this verse, little first couple words. When I say three, read the first word. One, two, three. Great job. Bring the whole tithe. What's, what's a tithe? 10%. Bring 10%. Someone's like, 10%? Oh my, God wants me to invest 10% in the kingdom. God wants me to bring 10%. Why 10%? Answer, don't know. 
Never explains the Bible why God says bring 10%. Why didn't God say 2% or 20%? What the Bible does clearly teach is here's the reason why. It's, it's all God's anyways. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything. And all, so all my stuff isn't really my stuff. All my stuff really belongs to God and I just manage God's stuff. I'm a manager, I'm a steward, it all belongs to God. I know my name's on the title, my name's on the deed, but it's not really all mine, because if it were mine, it, when I died, I could take it with me, but you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, do you? <laughs> so God says, bring the tithe, Old Testament. Hey, well, I'm a New Testament believer, pastor. I'm a New Testament, okay? Uh, Luke chapter six, verse 38, Luke six thirty-eight. By the way, this is really authoritative, it's New Testament now, it's a clear teaching, and this time, just one word, when I say three, all locations, loudly shout the first word. Ready, one, two, three. So the Bible commands me, again, if you're not a Christian, that's, that's fine. But if you are a Christian person like me, or a God follower, or a person of faith, whatever you wanna call yourself, the Bible says, give. And by the way, the Greek is something called a linear tense verb. It means not just a one-time action, but continue. Give as a habit. Give as a practice. So I'm commanded in the scripture. And by the way, for me, this could be a one-word verse. Why? Jesus saved me. Thank you. Meaning this. He knows all like the really stupid, selfish, shameful things I've done. And he forgave me. He died for me. So if my king, by the way, of scripture tells me to do something, I'm in. So this is Christianity 101. Practice generosity. You gotta give up to rise up. Now, if that were it, that's sufficient reason, but God is so good, God is so gracious, there's more. In fact, here's a second reason to be generous, to practice this, promise a blessing, promise a blessing. Because throughout the Bible, here's one of the reasons why Judd needs to teach on this occasionally, is some of the coolest promises of God's willingness to bless us, blessing. Uh, God's tangible and intangible favor on your life. God getting all up in your stuff in powerful and supernatural ways. I mean, we all want blessing. That's heaven getting involved in your life, right? So the promise of blessing, God's so willing to bless us, but so many verses teach that the faith action step that proceeds the blessing of God is generosity. Let me back up now and read the entirety of Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Here's what the whole verse says. Again, I'll highlight a couple words. You read those. Ready, one, two, three. Bring the whole tithe into the temple storehouse, that there be, be food in my house. Who's talking here? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. This is God speaking, this is not Malachi, this is God speaking in the first person. I, by the way, he's talking smack. You like good trash talking? God can tra talk trash. He's calling it, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much that there will not be room enough store it. Is that crazy? You don't want that in your life, do you? You don't want that kind of blessing. Not room enough to store the blessing that heaven wants to shower on your life. It's not a one-time thing. If we had time, I could show you dozens of promises, but let me take you to, this time, Luke, again, chapter 6, verse 38. Let me share the whole thing. And by the way, the speaker here in Luke is not Luke, it's Jesus. It's the king. 
to ratchet up the credibility as high as it can possibly go. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Hebrews, it says, it's impossible for God to lie. And look at the entirety of this verse. Yes, the first word is give, give, give. Lend your tents, give and keep on giving. I should practice whether I feel it or not, whether I'm naturally generous or not, because I'm cheap. I should practice biblical, radical generosity. Give, now here's the verse on the screen, ready? Right now, give, louder, one, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you. Okay, stop. So the verse stop right there being a proportional giving and receiving. Like, God, if I give a 20, you'll bless me with 20, right? Or God, if I give a 1,000, maybe somehow you'll find some creative way to resource me, something similar to, that's not what it teaches. It's, it's disproportional. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, we poured or spilled into your lap. That's so lavish. Guys, leave that up for a moment. That is incredible. And the promise maker here is the Son of Man. It is the Messiah. It's the resurrected King. It is Jesus is making, if you will trust him and give, if you will give up, oh my gosh, will you rise up? And so here's my only question. Why don't we do this? Why don't we practice this? Christian people, this is Jesus saying, if you do this, I will do that. And he keeps his promises 100%. Why don't we do this? Here's the reason why. Because no one does this. I mean, people make promises all the time, but no one keeps promises like that. Amen? I mean, people make promises, advertisers, you know, uh, older people, magazine ads, right? Boomers, greatest generation, TV commercials, young guns, pop-up ads on YouTube, right? They promise new and improved, right? Uh, 50% more, right? People, hey, I'll be there on Tuesday. They show up on Friday. People promise this and deliver this. And I don't mean just like con artists and scam. I mean, all the time, so what happens, we're jaded. We're skeptical. And even when Jesus says, given us shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken, stirred. We're like, yeah, I don't know if I can trust. Really? In fact, we're so jaded. It happens so pervasively. We're so taught to distrust promises like it. It happens in the grocery store. Cornflakes. Some of them wonder, why is there a box of cornflakes on the stage? This is like every dad who your wife goes out of town, you gotta watch the kids, you gotta like fake breakfast, what do you do? Are you making eggs and bacon? No, you're pouring out some cereal. And if you want to be a good dad, like I'd like to feed my kids like still cut oats, but they won't eat that stuff. They want Captain Crunch. So we compromise something like cornflakes, right? Cornflakes. And so being a dad not knowing, I, I want to get cornflakes for my kids. So I go to our local store and here I buy the giant family box of cornflakes. I'm like, look at this huge box. This will feed my family for a month. I mean, I can trust the people who make cornflakes, a generational company. They've been around forever. I'm like, look at all the cornflakes. Then what happens when you open it up when you go home? Right, we've not doctored this at all. Gonna get a camera shot of this, all right? Look where the cornflakes start. <laughs> Is that awesome? It's like, like 40% down. Like, like the cornflakes are way, 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 way down. This is so sad. Way down there. Here, here. If you're in the back. I've now hit cornflakes. Like half my arm has disappeared, right? 
All this is like air. All this is an empty promise. All this is an undersell, right? All this, so you can't even trust cornflakes. Like, oh my gosh, cornflakes. I, I can't even trust the nice people who make cornflakes because why give me this giant box where it's a third air? God's not this way. God's not this way. What's that promise say? That promise says, God, it says, in fact, put the promise back up on the screen. Let's take it apart together. Here's what the God of heaven, who never lies, says, give and what? Give and it will be given to you. So you give and God will give to you. But how's God gonna give to you? A, a good measure, a good measure. Then what's it say next? A good measure? Press down. Oh, I got room for a lot more cornflakes now. What's the next statement? Press down, what's it say? More cornflakes. What's it say after that? Shaking together loudly and running, running over, running over, running over, poured into your lap. My apologies to the nice people on the production team for the mess on the stage. But all I'm doing is physically demonstrating a spiritual promise that Jesus makes to you. It's hard, isn't it? If you don't like this money message, don't worry. Judd's back next week, man. I, and, and I'm not the money guy. I'm not the money guy pastors bring in to talk about money. I'm just another pastor. But when this principle came up of rise up, I thought, my gosh, every time in my life there's some area as a Christian I gotta give up. Not salvation, but everything else. What a privilege to partner with God and give up any little thing in my life for a king who gave so much for me. So maybe for you, you're like, you're so generous, you're like, that's awesome, but it is your sex life. Or it is your forgiveness. There's someone that God has called you to forgive and you're unwilling to let go of the bitterness. I don't mean you're re-engaged in the relationship. Maybe they're a toxic or dangerous person, but God called you to set someone free by forgiving. It'll be you, right? Whatever it is, maybe I'm not in touch in the area. Just give it up. Trust God. Make a move. Give up. Because he always, always, always keep his, keeps his promise. He promised to bless us. And you know, blessing is the tangible and intangible favor of God. And the best blessings of God are the intangibles. You can't put a price tag on them. But if you do it, God always, doesn't tell us how or when, he'll keep his promise every single time. So Ginger, like she's nine, and she's worked hard for her bike, she's rode her bike for like a half an hour, had to go to dinner, here's a story about some poor sad kid on the mission field in Latin America, and she goes to bed, and God speaks to her, not audibly, just this impression, just doing the math, like, well, I got this bike, but I have so much else, and uh, here's this kid who's so lonely, he didn't have a bike. God, are you telling me to give up my bike to that kid I've never met before, and she tells her parents, and I love her parents, they don't talk her down from it. A lot of times, like a young believer wants to do something radical for God, and some more mature Christian says, oh, I don't know, that might be too, right? They don't, just helps her count the cost. Honey, we can't buy you a new bike. Go pray some more, if you feel the same way, we'll do it, we want you to honor God. And she comes downstairs and says, yeah, I love my bike. I love, it. you guys can go out and play, I'll feel more spiritual if y'all play behind me. Anyways, I love my bike. And um, they give her bike away. But here's how cool God is. Word got out. Word got, I'm not sure who told, probably the missionary family told someone and they told someone. And it ended up being in the paper of their tiny little town, page two, a little story about this generous kid who gave away her bike. 
the richest guy in town read that story. That guy owned half of the downtown square, right? He owned the grocery store. He owned the barber shop. He owned the flower shop. He owned the bicycle shop. He heard about that. He brought Ginger and her parents into his store. He walked this little girl in front of his greatest robe, most expensive bicycle, said, honey, pick any bike you want. How remarkable that you gave up your bike. No, no, that didn't happen at all. That didn't happen at all. I just, I just made that up. I made that part up because that would have been great, right? That did not happen. That did not happen that way. But, you know, it's a story sometimes because God will do that. People like, they, they give God something remarkable and someone gives them something even better, right? Or a check comes in the mail. That, by the way, it was never happens for me. No, all that happened was she gave away her bike and that summer, Ginger had no bike. Her friends had their bikes. They rode their bikes. She ran and she walked. And what happened was she grew so bitter Angry and rebellious, didn't want to go to church, grew up, got on drugs. No, she's fine. <laughs> Just didn't have a bike, right? Her parents managed the situation really well. Next summer, still no bike. Third summer, she finally got a bike, used bike. And, but guess what? She was fine. She's a kid. They're resilient. Turned 16, didn't care about a bike. She won the keys for the family car. At 18, she grew up, she went away to college. Her parents did such a great job with her. They were so consistent. They weren't perfect, by the way. They were just okay sometimes, sometimes not even okay, but it's okay not to be okay. But they were consistent with her. She felt called into full-time ministry, just like mom and dad. So she goes to a Christian college, starts learning cool God stuff, and starts to train, makes some great friendships at her school, starts dating a few boys at that school. Uh, There's one boy she really connected with. His name was Steve, Steve Lingo. And her and Steve really hit it off. They start to date. They fall in love. They get engaged. They get married. Uh, they're now based in South Florida. They've been missionaries for decades. Uh, but somewhere, I'm not sure when, in the whole dating process, in the engagement process, um, they're swapping stories. And Steve, her boyfriend, says, hey, I've never told you this, but, you know, we're both out of ministry families. Now, now you're a PK. You're a preacher's kid. I'm an MK. That's a missionary's kid. And my parents were missionaries in Latin America. And uh, when I first got there as a little boy, I was about 10, I was so sad. I was sick, I didn't learn Spanish. You're ahead of me, aren't you? I didn't have any friends. I was so mad at God. I thought, God, why would you ask my family to give up our home in the States and give up my friends and put me here in this place? I don't know anybody. I was so mad at God, I was so discouraged. And then the craziest thing happened, Ginger, some kid I'd never met in the States, that kid sent me their bike. And it didn't make everything perfect or okay, but every time I'd ride that bike, I'd remember my God had not forgotten me. My God still had a plan for me. My God still loved me. Every time I rode that bike, that bike kept me in the game. Who but God? Who but God? Who but God could move in the heart of a 10-year-old little girl to give away her favorite thing, a bike, to send it some, to some little boy she'd never met before to build courage and faith and strength into the man who would grow up to be her husband. Give, and it shall be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, stirred, spilling out into your life. You can trust God. So what is it in your life you're holding back? You must give up before you rise up. You must give up before you rise up. It is my prayer you'd be daring and decisive. For you just to laugh a little bit, clap a little bit, who cares? But if you'll make a decision and surrender something to God, things become catalytic and change. So what is it? 
Maybe somebody, you've never given yourself by faith to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. He wants you. He didn't want your wallet. No, he's way more ambitious than that. He wants all of you, lock, stock, and barrel. He wants the good, the bad, and the ugly of you. This is your brilliant day to give yourself by faith to Jesus. Put a bow on your head and say, Jesus, your gift is me. Forgive me, take me, save me. But everyone needs to make a decision. Give up, and you'll rise up. Father God, thank you so much for this pervasive principle we see throughout the Word of God. But God, now is the crucial time, the moment of transformation. And transformation hinges on daring decisions. So Father, it's my, it's my prayer right now, no one would leave right now in this sacred moment, this sacred space. We'd make a decision, God, before God that's profoundly personal. As the Holy Spirit deals with us individually, thousands upon thousands of people on these campuses. But right now it's you and me, God. What is that thing you're asking for? Is it money? Is it my sex life? Is it forgiveness? Is it a habit? Is it something toxic? Whatever it is, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna surrender, it is yours, I give up. So in due time, I rise up in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Central, thank you all so much. Come on, church, give it up for Pastor David Hughes. So good, is that message incredible or what? Hey, whatever next step you wanna take, if it's in the area of giving, if it's any habit that you wanna break, make sure to go by our next step area. We have a team of people there to help you take whatever next step God's calling on your life. Our kids team is also in the lobby. They can help you find ways to sign your kids up for camp, so make sure to see them. And next week, Pastor Judd has an incredible vision talk. You don't wanna miss it. Get back with us Super Bowl Sunday, but between now and then, hold on to Romans 8. If God is for us, who could be against us? Keep showing up.